Welcome to the Books Applied Podcast presented by WSL Leadership Coaching. In this podcast, we talk about an awesome book and how to apply it to your life. Today's book is Atomic Habits by James Clear, and I am here with Gregor Stoddard, a business coach for women entrepreneurs and an avid reader. And we are going to get into Atomic Habits, why they're helpful. Gregor, tell me what you loved about this book, if anything. No pressure. Oh, I love this book. I love that it's concise and practical, but I also like that James Clear goes out of his way to kind of explain why um, habits are formed in certain ways and what the like neurological processes are, because I think that makes it easier to understand what's happening when you're trying to develop or change a habit. Mm, See, like the brain science, I think, and also brain science with very practical, like do this thing and then this thing. Like it yeah, was. I would say it's really well structured. I'm just someone who needs the what behind it. Like you could tell me to do the right thing, but if I don't understand why it works, I'm not going to invest the time to do it. Like classic adult learner. Tell me why. Why do I need to do this? Why is this good for me? Yeah. He'll tell you why. Cool. That is great. I, I also like this book. I thought it was super practical and had a lot of, yeah, just very actionable things you could start doing immediately and different yeah, we'll get into those things, I'm sure, as we keep talking more. Uh, one of the things I actually liked was sort of his introductory idea of how he talks about systems instead of goals. Like if you have a goal that's very extrinsic and like out there, but if you have systems, that's what's going to get you to your goals. So if you focus on the goals a lot, you're just kind of looking at the future, this beautiful picture. But if you focus on systems, you will make progress and change and move toward things. So like just the idea of the mindset around what a that he's addressing the system layer versus the goal layer out there. Yeah, I think that's actually exactly what I liked about it, Iggy, because he talks about you can change habits at three different layers. You can address the outcome that you want. You can address the process that you need to, you know, change or augment. And then you can address the habit and identity level. And that's what I thought was fascinating, because when you're addressing outcomes, that's kind of a I want to lose weight. I want to hit a different number. Right. And that might be a thing you want, but you then also have to think about, okay, what are all the things I'm doing that are contributing to my weight in a way I, you know, feel good about or feel bad about and want to change. But at the end of the day, if you change that system level information without thinking about how you identify as a person and why those behaviors are part of your life. So if you think of yourself as a lazy person or a heavy person, and then you try and put all these habits in place. But at the end of the day, you're still like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just lazy. I'm not going to do that. Um, It's so much harder to actually make the change you're looking for. Whereas when you think to yourself, what would a healthy person do right now? Or, you know, fill in the blank. Sure, sure, sure. You know, then then intrinsically, you have um, a reason to think about changing your behavior beyond the like pain of the actual moment of changing that behavior. And I think it's even more insidious, like people who think of themselves, like just for your example, I was like, yeah, some people think of themselves as lazy, but I think more people think of themselves as a bad cook. It's like, oh, I can't, of course I can't have healthy food, which would lead me to my goal because I'm just a terrible cook. And they ingrain that in their mindset. And they're like, well, if I was a good cook, I could do this. If I was, you know, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, I mean, for him, like identity is the foundation of your yeah. habits. And if you don't incorporate that 
part of like your worldview into your behavior change, you're not, you're only going to be able to make change at like a, a certain level. Yeah. I mean, he also talks about like this very, like, I think it's a little bit later on where he's like, well, if you just have willpower, you could like, you know, persevere through stuff. But like, that's not really a long-term solution to be like, I'm going to, you know, get these goals done because I'm going to like force myself to do it. You're just going to burn out your willpower. That's like a whole nother book we can talk about later. Yeah. Just because we have a lot of cultural messages that says like, if you just try harder, you can make the changes you need without understanding that willpower is a really finite and expensive resource. You know, people who are successful at the kind of goals that they want to accomplish are really doing everything they can to remove willpower and decision making from their day to day choices. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me feel better. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like it shouldn't. Well, and I think there's this like weird dichotomy, right? Either it takes so much willpower, I can't do it. Or, oh, it's effortless and takes no willpower, but there's this huge process shift in between those two, right? That, oh, like, sure. that, that's like the nature of this whole book. I think one of his quotes is like, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. He talks about this sort of feedback loop for like the actions we take reinforce who we think we are. And so then we are kind of repeating that over and over again. Right. So, and then when you make a choice that's in alignment with who you want to be, it's reinforcing that you're not a bad cook. You... <laughs> you're trying, you're learning, you're growing as a cook. Right. Um, and the more you try, the more you like can identify with the idea that maybe you are a good cook. Yeah. And he talks about proving it to yourself as small wins. It doesn't need to be a big thing. It's not like, oh, I just, this like 45 course dinner and everything's amazing. Like maybe, but uh, yeah, so <laughs> he has this yeah. like sort of two-step process which is like decide the person you want to be and prove it to yourself with small wins. Like, which is a great, like, that's it. Here you go. Done. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah. I, a quote I wrote down from him is too often we convince ourselves that massive success requires massive effort. Mm-hmm. And really he's saying like, that's, that's a um, false choice. And instead, like really it's all these itty bitty choices that you're making that really add up in the aggregate. What I thought was interesting though, is he kind of didn't adjust address the need for consistency. And I think some people have, um, some people have an easier time being consistent once they've developed a new habit. And for me, that doesn't always feel super accessible. I can do it pretty well for a little while, but it's also pretty easy to disrupt a habit. You know, one of the things that remains really true to me is that I'm most successful at maintaining habits when I'm controlling the right things. So I'm not borrowing against willpower, but I'm, um, addressing the external environment around me. Right. So it right, talks right. about how there's four steps to creating a habit. It's cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. Right. So, you know, if I want to be healthy, if I want to be a good cook, I don't have junk food in my house. <laughs> if I know that I eat junk food, but only late at night, like I, I stay out of the kitchen, you know? Right. Or if they're just complete, changes where like you no longer have the right group of friends to engage with or um, a particular physical environment is going to be triggering for you. You have to address it at that level. So you're not borrowing against your willpower all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He says you can break habits, but you're unlikely to forget them. So even if you've changed a habit that you want to change and he said, I've never seen someone consistently stick to positive habits in a negative environment. Like if you're not supported in that change around you or you're actively unsupported, maybe. Uh, I think that is where people struggle a ton. And I think people, there's this idea of you go on a retreat to go do something or you leave to go have this massive change. Like, and this is like the classic hero's journey, right? Then you come back home and like, everyone's like, yeah, everything's still the same here. And you're like, oh my God, I'm totally changed. And then you have to deal with like that 
or like discord around who you've changed and who you've become with this environment that maybe hasn't changed or was actively not supporting that change or evolution in you as a person. Well, and if you think about it, that's part of why breaking bad habits is so difficult. It really requires like a system level change around both your internal behaviors, but often your external environment in ways that, um, you know, most people don't make those changes until (laughs) they are too painful to avoid making them. Sure. Yeah. If you have like really bad influence friends, you know, like, but they're my friends. Like, well, or you don't have other friends, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) If the choice is like, these people aren't like supporting my best version of myself, or I can be totally alone. Those don't feel like good options. (laughs) But I'll have great habits if I'm totally alone. It'll be amazing. Yeah. And I think it's, I thought it was interesting how he separates out like building a new habit and then changing an old habit. It's sort of two different looks at those same four categories, right? So either you can make a cue, have a cue. If you want to create a habit, you make it obvious. But if you want to get rid of an old habit, you make it invisible, right? So you're just dealing with the same four concepts, but in either creating ways or like destroying ways. If you have a craving, you can either make it more attractive if you want that habit or make it unattractive if you don't want that habit. Your response, you can make it easy or make it hard. In your reward, you can make it satisfying or unsatisfying. So either way, you're sort of sculpting, moving towards something you want or like making something you don't want to have happen less and less appealing over time. Yeah. And I I just thought it was really valuable to think about what is the underlying neurochemistry that's influencing what makes things hard or easy or rewarding or not. And then how does that really um, support the choices that we think we're making on a conscious level or really subconsciously influenced by all of those different aspects. Yeah. He quotes Jung saying, until you make it the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Like, oh, the fates are just blah, blah, blah. Like, no, he's like, it's make it conscious, deal with it. He spends a lot of the book dealing with these four layers and like either how you use them to break habits or create habits. And I think there's just little pieces of each of those. Some of the times I'm like, okay, this is process. It's lost me here, buddy, a little bit in terms of like, you can do this and this and this. I'm like, it's like almost too many options. I'm like, okay, great. Here's like 47 ways you can make a cue obvious or invisible. I'm like, got it. Okay. Like three of these are interesting to me. The other 47, not so much. But I like that he offers so many different options and so many different ideas. The three that resonate with you may not be the three that resonate with someone else. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. So maybe he's, you know, trying to be accessible to the broadest group of people. Um, yeah, I, I liked it, you know, like he, he often gave you a concept and then gave you an example of how that plays out in real life. So he opens the book by talking about the British cycling team and how they made all these, um, changes to all sorts of crazy things, you know, the fabric that the riders wore, the material of the tires, the, um, I don't know, the lubricants for the, um, different pieces of the bike. And he said, you know, like if you, if you make 1% changes across every area of your system, those changes compound over time. And I thought that was, you could have said that to me and, you know, every (laughs) financial advice you've ever heard basically says that to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But to put in the context of like, here's an example where this team, you know, was an embarrassment to the industry and then went from one of the, you know, the bottom to one of the most successful teams was inspiring, although, you know, I'm not a cyclist, so I'm, I'm like <laughs> changing my tires. and Sure. But I think his other point that like the idea of like the 1% improvement over time adds up more too. Mm-hmm. that like, even if you start with like, oh, I want to be like, if you want to be more healthy, and you're like, well, I'll eat healthy one meal a day or one meal a week. Right. And then you're like, okay, right. I've gone for one meal a week to one meal a day. Okay. I've gone for one mm-hmm. meal a day to like, you know, whatever. If you like one per like even smaller, like 1% increase those over time. 
And I think they're easy to show in like measurable things like, oh, I want to run a mile in this amount of time. Like if you run like two seconds faster every day, which is a weird way to look at like fitness, but like eventually you'll be like, I'm amazingly fast. I can run it in zero time. But the idea that these little improvements over time are really what make the change happen over time. And I think that's like aligns with how he talks about shifting identity too. Like it's hard to be like, mm-hmm. now I'm an amazingly healthy person and now I'm an Olympic runner. You know, like no one's going to wake up tomorrow and convince themselves very easily that that's what is true without these like small improvements over time or these small changes over time. Uh, and he also, one of the other lines he says that I think is very interesting is he says that when many people think they lack motivation, they actually lack clarity. And so he like breaks down that idea of like the cue to like this very simple sentence. Like I will do this behavior at this time in this location. Like it needs to be that specific and that clear for people to be like, oh yeah, I am going to do that thing at that time in that place. Like, cool. I got it. Like to make like a really detailed plan for themselves in order to engage in like basically to break that, like the habitual thing we would have normally done at that place at that time, you know, whatever it is but to bring that intentionality to it. And I think that's something we all experience in our lives, that we have this kind of ambiguous desire or intention to do something differently. And intention is really important. It's a foundation of wanting to uh, arrive at a different kind of outcome. But if you don't make a plan, you (laughs) still have to do all the work between, hey, I want this thing and how am I going to go about getting this thing? And I think it's really easy to confuse. Oh, yeah, I... I desire to have this thing happen with, and here's how I'm going to make that happen. Yeah, right. You're moving yourself from a passive perspective to a, I'm an active participant and have responsibility. Yeah, that's when you start building that evidence for yourself through your actions, right? Yeah. Versus like, I aspire to be an amazing runner. Like, cool. Do you, have you ever run? Like, have you, do you have shoes? That's a good first step. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) Now do something. And I feel like, well, in this, these parts are kind of tied into that level of like dealing with the cue and making it more obvious and more easy. And I think that's where people start with like the beginning of like, Oh, what, like, how am I going to cue myself to do these things? And, or how am I going to like use this cue to build on? Like he talked about habit stacking too, is another one of his uh, tactics for like, after you do something that's your current habit, like how are you going to add like a new habit? Like after that, like you're already doing something sort of naturally, how are you going to add like the next little piece? Like you already brush your teeth Maybe that's a good time to add flossing your teeth. You know, like it's just like an obvious next step that connects to it that you will be able to remember probably pretty easily. Right. Because once you associate the new behavior you want with an established habit, it's that much easier to trigger that behavior because it's happening at a certain and specific time. It's like using the habit to create the plan for yourself. Yeah. Which it seems like, I think it was one of like those like genius parts of this book where you're like, oh yeah. Like, I'm already doing that thing. Like, I already basically have a momentum going in a certain direction. Just, like, kind of harnessing that to do the next thing. is. Someone was telling me recently that the this time is very difficult for people. I think it was you even. Because we have so many different changes out of our habits now that we, are like, have to spend so much energy create, deciding what to do with our day and with our life. Because we have – our habits have basically been ripped out from under us for how we would normally live our lives in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I think the pandemic has created circumstances where the structure you probably associated most of your habits with is either dramatically changed or maybe completely gone. And that really, um, you can see the way in which your habits are really attached to those structures and those times and those location cues when like you remove all of them and all of a sudden I think we're all feeling pretty unmoored. And on the flip side, I think when people try to retain, remain attached to those habits and they don't have those cues anymore, that like their 
adding that layer of stress to themselves. Like, oh, I would normally every whatever Saturday do the same thing. And you're like, well, what day is it? Like, I don't even know anymore. You know, like when people lose track of the day of the week, they lose track of like the schedule attached to those days sometimes. And yeah. I think that, and people fight that versus like, well, what are your new cues? What are your new rewards? I think there's also this opportunity. I mean, I'd be curious to see what James Clare has to say about it. Like once you're, all of your cues have been like ripped out away from you. Like all those habits have been exposed for being merely habits attached to a time and a place. That's no longer, you're no longer in that time and place in some sense. Like is that, I think there are people that will cling to what it was. And then I think there's this other opportunity for like, well, great. What are my new habits? Like, what can I create out of what is here currently? I think we also, yeah, maybe at the point this point, we're very attached to like how things were to try and recreate versus like use the opportunities for the change that have already happened to create new yeah. habits. I think anytime you have some sort of huge, in this case, global shift around those norms and those behaviors, it is a really good time to explore, are those habits serving you? And are those ones you want to carry forward? Are there ways you could adjust to better align with your values and your outcomes and your process and your identity, right? Right, your Um, identity. And... I think that I have heard that in the pandemic, there are no days of the week anymore. It's just yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which ironically is how I lived my life anyway, outside <laughs> of the pandemic. So maybe I'm um, advanced for this moment, but yeah. I, I think that also has its own value because it breaks habits down into the most concrete um, now oriented you know, part of your life. So it's not a habit you need to start three weeks from now because who knows what three weeks from now looks like. It's what did I do yesterday? What am I going to choose to do today? And how am I going to set myself up for success tomorrow? And that just narrows the universe in a way that I think removes some of that overwhelm. Yeah. Well, and I think that is it like another point that is referenced in the book that like, this is all very immediate. This is all like now you're not like setting up a habit for yourself next week. Like you're not Plan, like we are very optimistic when we plan for our future selves. Like, oh, my future self is going to be like really focused on, you know, buying vegetables every time they go to the store. But then like I look at my grocery list and it's all like cookies and candy, right? So like <laughs> you have to like deal with your present self, which I think is, yeah, like a benefit of the now. And I think how uh, James Clear like references it. Like this is all like you do this now. It's not like there's no like planning. Like your system is like your system for the moment. Like it's your system that you're living in right now, not a system for tomorrow or the system you're going to like that thing you're going to do, you know, like the, the most future oriented thing I think is like the habit stacking, like, Oh, when that habit happens, then I'm going to cue this habit. Like, so there's some thought around these things that build on each other, but they're habits that happen every day or every time, you know, there's still time to that tied to that time, place and location that are very immediate, I think in a lot of ways and intentional. Yeah. That's so funny, Iggy, because I always say that I, I have things I'll do today. And then there's a whole category of things that future Gregor that's future Gregor's problem. <laughs> and I've got to tell you, that bitch does not accomplish as much as what? I wish she did. Why is she so lazy? Come on. Right. <laughs> um, right. So I do think he really pulls the focus kind of to the right level. Like now is the only time you can take action, right? Right. Um, on the other hand, I do think there's value in a lot of the first half of the book. He's talking about bringing self-awareness to the ways in which your habits happen around you so that you can decide which pieces you need to change. And if I could recommend a different book, is that allowed in this podcast? Yeah, do what you want in this podcast. Compliment. 
to Atomic Habits is Gretchen Rubin's Better Than Before, mm-hmm. which is another book about habits. But she talks a lot about how different people, different personality types and different traits engage in um, habits. And she would say, you know, start now or start when you're ready. And for different people, like they want to take action right now. But for some people, it may be more valuable to say, to start a new workout routine on a Monday because it feels like the oh yeah 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 feels like you're doing something at a certain time and space. So I don't think he's removed from that, but I don't think he goes into the same level of detail around how there's probably some variation between what might work for you and what might work for me. Sure. Well, he does talk about how like starting habits like at the beginning of the week, at the new year, you know, like the, the, these times when we're more like open to starting new habits or we're right. more like the beginning of the month, like, oh, this is like a new month. I'm going to start this thing, you know, like. Right. They're, it, it's essentially their external cues that prime us to make yeah. that change. Exactly. And exactly. The rest of our environments are more supportive, accepting, or also making changes in those time frames that make it, I think, easier to to begin. Sure, for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting like difference between like this idea of future planning and planning for the future self, but also the immediate. And he when he gets down to the uh, the reward, like the rewards are super immediate. Like, and that's what we need to pay attention to. Like, in terms of like if we want to shift our habits, like what's immediately rewarded is re- repeated, and what's immediately punished is avoided. And so we have to be rec- recognized like in the moment that immediacy of like, is this good or bad for me? Versus like, is this good or bad for future me? You know, or like next month when I've, you know, at the new year, when my resolutions are like, I'm ready for resolutions. Like, will this be good for me? Like maybe, and maybe it's a good time to start it. But in the moment, like you need to be pretty dialed into like what's happening in the very present. I thought that was really interesting because it reminds me of classic conditioning when you're training pets. Right. Um, And so any time that I can remind myself that I'm an animal, like if I could treat myself, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, we respond to the positive things that happen to us in a certain way and we respond to the negative things that happen to us in a certain way. And when you kind of strip out all the excuses and the baggage of being a human in your life and just say like, oh, did I set this up to succeed or not? Um, I think it can be helpful to, to think about how to... Um, I just thought it was a helpful framing. Sure. Yeah. To look at that, like that sense of the what's immediate, what's helping or not helping. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has so many tips for that too, to make it immediate. Yeah. He talks about the two minute habit, like the, or the two minute rule. So you like, if you're not sure how to start or what to start, you just come up with the first, the two minute thing you can do for that habit. If it's like a, you know, I think we have these aspirational big habits that we want sometimes. Like I'm going to be amazingly healthy. Like, cool. It's a great mm-hmm. one beyond. But what's like the two minute version of that? Like, what can you do in the next two minutes that's going to move you in that direction and and provide momentum and a gateway to the future mindset change and other things, too? Right. And your example was like, you want to be an Olympic runner. And he would say, OK, well, don't make it your goal to run a marathon today. Like your, the immediate habit you want to address is put on your running shoes. Right. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. once your running shoes are on, you can go running. Well, and I think he even breaks down more like maybe you just need to put out your running shoes and look at them for a couple of days and be like, these are a part of me, these shoes, you know, like this is, <laughs> this is like a part of my life and my identity, you know, like I think he, he does talk about like taking it very slow and uh, oh yeah, here's this quote, like the more you ritualize the beginning of a process, the more likely it becomes you can slip into the state of deep focus that is required to do great things. So like, ri- like the start of the process of like, I want to be an Olympic runner to like, I see my shoes there. Okay, cool. Right. These are, you know, attached to me. 
Right. As an Olympic runner, there those are my tools. And as mm-hmm. an Olympic runner, every day I engage in these practices, right? Of looking at my shoes and like in my right. Yeah. <laughs> Step right. one. Or whatever it is, for sure. We're for both sure. gonna walk away from this podcast primed to be Olympic runners. I can feel it, Iggy. Well, you know, it's not the worst thing that would have happened to me today, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Move on moving on toward like, yeah, amazing, amazing outcomes. So our identities are going to be totally different next time we talk. I'll be like, who are you? It's going to be great. Look forward to that. Look forward to that. Are there any other uh, like hot tips or things from the book that you think you would apply to your life or you've seen applied really beneficially or effectively around you? Well, I think, um, you know, the first half of the book really focuses on kind of the how in the um you know, underlying mechanics of habit forming or habit changing. And I think the second half of the book is kind of focused on how do you maximize or optimize your habits. Um, And the thing that I really took away from that second half of the book is that desire is the engine of your behavior. So you, you need to make changes that you actually want to make. Those are you don't want to make, you're unlikely to do it but also that we imitate behaviors of the people around us. Oh yeah. And I think we've all heard like you become more alike the five people, the five closest people in your life, right? Like you're, you're influencing them, but you're likely to be influenced as well. And he really said that um, we focus on three different groups when we're imitating behaviors. So people who are close to us, the many and the powerful. Mm, So, mm -hmm. And when I look at my own life, the people who are most immediately in contact with me every day, those people definitely have a great deal of influence around what I'm doing. And that feels the most obvious. And then there are lots of choices you're making that I think you don't realize are choices because so many other people are making the same choices. And then there are choices we imitate because people are powerful and we see them engage in certain behaviors and then want to replicate them. And I think that really connects to all of those really actually connect to how we think about our identities. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you remember, but he talks about this study where people had a piece of paper with like a line drawn on it and then they had three options and they had to decide this line was the same length as one of these three options. And the other ones were like obviously shorter and obviously longer. Like there's one that matched very clearly. And so, but then once, so people were like very much like, oh yeah, this is the middle one, like pretty easily. But when they got in a group of people and they, all the other people were actors. And so the other people would be like, oh, it's definitely this one. And it would be like the shorter one. But the person who by themselves could like easily identify that it was the middle one, suddenly when everyone else is like, it's the short one, it's totally the short one, they'd be like, yeah, it's the short one. Like they would go along with like this other, the group mentality, like in a very obvious way that was very obviously incorrect and that they would not have done alone. But because the group was doing it, they're like, yeah, this is how it is. Like there's just so many layers of influence of the people around us, I think it was what that showed. And this was like a very tangible, like you're obviously picking the wrong one because everyone else around you is obviously picking the wrong one. Yeah. And it's interesting because that influence is there, but there are times where I think we're more aware of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then there are times like that example is a time where someone's been put in those different circumstances and feels the cognitive dissonance of that subconscious influence at the time. But you have to wonder how much of your life are you responding to influences where you don't have the cognitive awareness of of it happening in real time. Oh yeah, for Um, sure. We just assume that into our identity. We're just, you, you haven't brought enough attention to it. So you do the thing that's easiest or most available to you. Sure. Interesting. Like level of like the habit, right? Like this is what's, this is how I've always done it. So this is how it is. 
and it happens to align with everyone around me. Cool. Like sort of like a chicken and an egg is like, which one, you know, is it aligned with the people around you or the, what you perceive because you want to be that way or because that happened first and you just have mirrored it, you know, matched it in yourself. Right. Which goes back to like, if desire is the engine of your behavior, you're not going to change something that you're not experiencing a negative impact around or you don't feel the reason. And those external structures provide a lot of kind of consistency that often isn't worth overcoming until you really think about like, is this the kind of person I want to be or is this impacting me in a right way? There's this whole industry around calling your attention to your micro habits that are setting you up for failure. I think that's like in any area of life, like, oh, is it your mindset about this thing? Is it your, you know, the oil you use when you cook or is it the blah, 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 like the type of shoes you have? Like there's like, is it your gait when you walk? You know, like there's all these like people that try to like narrow you into these super like noticing the fine details, right? With an effort to change and do something different or develop a different habit around those. And I think, I mean, that's James Clear's thing. It's like the atomic habit, like the tiny little atom of what your habit is, is if you pay attention to that, that's like the thing that's going to have the greater influence over time is like these little itty bitty micro changes, but you have to bring attention to them first. Like I think the book does a great job of like stripping away all these reasons in ways that you just ignore your habits or ways that like they are influencing you in different ways. And I think he builds on them to be like, oh, well, this is habit stacking or this is like foundational habits or this is like ritual starting habits or this is like the reward for habits. Like he kind of pulls all these threads apart in some ways, but they are fundamentally just bringing attention to the tiniest details of your habit and your habit system for the identity that you have. And I think that's the most powerful thing about this book is he takes things that we all feel and experience in our life and creates a really concrete, practical framework for us to understand those things and bring that awareness to our own habit formation. This has been the Book Supply Podcast presented by WSL Leadership Coaching. You can find more podcasts and other stuff at worksportlife.com. Thanks to Peter Evans for some technical assistance. And thanks to my guest for today, Gregor Stoddard. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. 